It was strange the way it happened, and suddenly you had a break. All the pieces seemed to fit into place. Not a sucker you'd been. What a fool. The answer was there all the time. It took a small accident to make it happen. Tonight, my unconventional conventionalists, you are to witness a new breakthrough in biochemical research. And paradox is to the Welcome to Hidden Tea Party. Uh, my name is Rowan. My pronouns are they, them. And uh, this is my willing victim. <sighs> <laughs> I made Courtney watch a movie. Good evening. I am Courtney, the witch of video games. And I've been taken hostage. She's been taken hostage in my dimension. The uh, meta realm. <laughs> I am being subjected to beautiful movies from the 70s. We're taking a break. Jess isn't here. Uh, Jess got eaten. They got taken to the Golden Land. I don't know what you They did. might be back soon. We'll see. Yeah. I'll let them out, maybe. But until such a time, uh, we're doing a little bonus episode where I get to pick what we consume, what media we consume. Yes. After making Rowan consume perhaps one of the most beautiful visual novels of all time, <laughs> I have uh, decided to be generous <laughs> and let them choose what we talk about. Her generosity, insane. So we watched Rocky Horror. I'm... Um, this is a movie that I have very strong feelings about. How do you feel going into this movie? Had you seen it before? What's so I feel like I've seen like bits of it because I was watching it and I was like, I've definitely seen this bit before. Mm-hmm. And then, but like, I definitely had not seen the whole thing because I hadn't seen the ending. I had no idea how it no ended. No idea how it ended. Yeah. Uh, but I'd seen a few of like the more well-known songs. I'd seen the Rocky Horror Glee episode. <laughs> so I feel like that gave me some what some expectations so rocky horror um for those of you who are unaware is a movie it was released in 1975 who boy does it not feel like that yes honestly it could like i was watching and i was like i'm thinking of a lot of films that came out in the 80s because obviously it doesn't have quite like the production values of like films from like the 90s onwards but the themes are just so uncharacteristic for the 70s. Yeah, it's next level. So it's written by uh, a man called Jim Sharman, who is a very prolific theatre director, and uh, Richard O'Brien, who you may know is the voice of Lawrence Fletcher from Phineas and Ferb. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm so glad there was such a great career progression there. Um, yeah, he really went on to do wonderful things. Um, so, yeah, it's it was not well critically acclaimed when it Shocker. was first released. I can't believe that. I was watching this and I was like, I'm sure the people of the 70s loved this. Yeah. And uh, had such a great time with this. It's a very queer movie. It's mm. extremely queer. Yeah. Um, Alright, do you have any like opening thoughts and feelings you want to share? Um, we- well, I will say... The plot structure of this film is wild. 
Yes. Like, that was my main kind of takeaway, is it does have a bit of that, like, kind of pl plot structure of movies from that time era. That's probably what I'd say ties it most to the 70s, is yeah. there isn't really what we consider these days a traditional kind of three-act Hollywood structure. Right. The film just kind of sort of happens, keeps going, and ends. It does. Which is what I considered more characteristic of films from that era. So that was my, that's my, like, initial mm -hmm. thought when we finished it. I was like, okay, I can see kind of how this was made. Um, also, love a good musical. Love a musical. Musicals yeah. from that era tended to be very, like, very hetero. Like, if you look at the big musical boom from the 1960s, uh -huh. like, everything is, like, very centered around very clean, hetero lifestyles. All the women yes. are gorgeous virgins. Uh, yeah. All the men are dashing and attractive and, um... You know, we get fun songs from Rodgers and Hammerstein about consent. Um, <laughs> right, okay, so this is Rodgers and Hammerstein era of musicals. Well, kind of the like the dec decade or couple of decades before we're getting things like... Well, like, the big musical hit of the 60s was, like, Mary Poppins and Sound of Music. Oh my god, okay. So, I didn't know this was its counterparts. <laughs> um, this was, like, three years after Cab the Cabaret film, which I suppose is a darker take on the musical movie. Yeah. But this is a lot more kind of like, I want to almost want to say schlockier than Cabaret. Ooh, yeah, was, that's fair. Was like Cabaret is like has got queer themes, but it's like ultimately a very dark take on life in Nazi Germany. Yes. And the sort of subcultures that were raised by this. This is just really like fun. Some stuff about it is so kind of art housey, but it's definitely not an art house movie. At the end of the day, it's drawing so much from B movies and being very fun. Actually, another comparison I'd make to this movie as a film that came out ten years later is *The Shop of Horrors*. Ooh, it, yeah. like which is is a more popcorn movie, and in a way, I could see that being the sort of final form if you wanted to make a more commercially successful version of this. But yeah, you know, musical movie draws on this theme of, like, a heterosexual couple being confronted with the other, but does it in a more palatable way to mainstream audiences. This is not trying to cater oh. to, like, mainstream audiences at all, which is why I'm amazed this got made. Yeah. Um, one thing I will compare between Rocky Horror and Little Shop of Horrors is how Rocky Horror and Little Shop of Horrors both play on, like, musical conventions so they'll address the audience they'll they're aware that they're musicals as well as movies yeah we both have a narrator device but the criminologist mm -hmm. in this and then you've got the sort of motown trio yes. in little shop who are yeah. there to sort of narrate what yeah. is happening um now i do think this was a very good choice to Thank sort you. of contrast with umineko <laughs> because it is this idea of this very kind of straight-laced heterosexual world where everything has to mm -hmm. uh, conform to these very traditional yeah. and rigid conventions. Being confronted with this other that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, pushes these people out of their comfort zone. Yes. Which I like. Um, I love the uh, idea now of, like, Beatrice as this, like, decadent witch. I mean, okay, let's put it this way. Frankenfurter has definitely fucked everyone in that house. <laughs> and Beatrice has definitely fucked every demon she summoned. I 
I'll accept that as a take. I'll yeah. accept that as a take. So one of the my big Rocky Horror takes is that I also believe it's a genre movie, um, but I think it's a pulp science fiction movie. I can see that. It is It is definitely drawing from that. That's what makes the Little Shop comparison so good. Yeah. Is both of those are drawing from, yeah, pulpier film predecessors. Right. So, like, pulp, for, for the listener, uh, if you're not aware of the, like, pulp science fiction genre, um, it's this, like, mass-produced, trashy uh, sci-fi novels that happened over a period of time. The pulp refers to, like, the really cheap paper that it was mm-hmm. printed on. Um, and then they like had these awful garish covers and because it, they were really cheap novels, they had to produce loads really, really quickly. So the plots, there was like no complicated characters. There wasn't any like character development. It was just like cheap, fast produced plot. It was a crude genre. Um, pulp themes include like space opera, heroism, romance, sex, galactic empires, and this like exotic world of some kind that the cast would like a normal person would be thrust into a adventurous world and so what you're saying is rocky horror is an isekai (laughs) (laughs) maybe sword dick online sword dick online um, um, so I, I do want to throw in here that I do think it's interesting that actually, I'm just going to double check this before I uh, okay. talk about but I'm pretty sure this kind of predate yeah this predates Star Wars which I would say is the big coming of like redefining pulp into a more like mainstream like almost yeah. prestige thing where you know a movie about space cowboys can make millions of dollars so obviously right. I don't think this film was kind of ever going to do big numbers. No. <laughs> and I don't think the studio making it kind of went in with the expectations that this was going to, um, you know, bring in the dollar. Absolutely not. Um, pulp is often, like, quite a derogatory term. Like, it's, it's seen as, like, okay, well, this is a trashy throwaway thing. It's just for entertainment purposes, and therefore it's not very important. And I think that shows here because this is like such a a retake of a lot of pulp tropes and i think that really shows and i think you're right about like it's this predates the idea that pulp could be like good enough artistic merit and as a consequence it's not really concerned with artistic merit it's concerned with being as camp as possible and i fucking love that i will say i do like a lot of the film language in this yeah even though obviously it's very schlocky, I think it does play with images and symbols very well. Yes. Yeah. And I know a lot of the stuff about the emotional state of the characters is never directly stated. Yeah. Like, you already, from the start of the film, get the vibe that the characters are unhappy with the way their lives are playing out. Yeah. But, like, it's never explicitly stated yeah. to the audience. So this is an excellent uh, segue into beginning to recount the plot of the movie. Oh, yes. So um, the movie opens, we get a lovely credit sequence with the song Science Fiction Double Feature, which is like, I think one of my favorite songs of the movie. Um, It's great. There's loads of like sci-fi references. It's talking about cheap plots. And we cut straight into a wedding. Yes. Um, I also like that the opening is sung by a giant floating mouth. Yeah. Yeah, very Ubanako. Um, <laughs> Where, when will Beatrice summon the mouth? 
Well, there's the, there's the animation with the bite. Oh, with the bite. That's yeah. the mouth. Oh my God. I'm I so glad. I was thinking about that animation. Oh. God. So we cut straight into a very heterosexual wedding. We've mm-hmm. got this like perfect cishet couple and they're getting married and they get like, uh, they throw the bouquet and then they get into this car that's like, she's had hers, wait till they get home. Now he's going to have his. Some horrible thing that's sprayed on the side and whipped cream and uh, and they drive off and the wedding party disperses and our two protagonists if you will are left alone I will. you will I will you will our two protagonists are left alone and Brad proposes to Janet in one of the driest numbers of the film as the two of them walk around the churchyard which is stopping being prepared for a wedding and is now being prepared for a funeral by some very deadpan church employees and they're like singing about how they love each other and they're fumbling with the ring and they're talking about heterosexuality meanwhile these three churchyard employees played by people who will later appear in the movie as people in the castle um are all like damn it janet it's so good uh, it's actually one of my favorite bits of the film was this opening number it's just like <laughs> the, the vibes are so off but yes. it's so funny i love um there's a little detail in one of the opening shots where they're all having a family photo and the family disperse and tim curry and richard o'brien and i forget the lady who plays magenta are all stood, uh, patricia quinn patricia quinn are all sat stood in the back of the family photo just like dead face um, so they propose and they're like, oh my God, we've got to go and see Dr. Scott, our friend, um, who introduced us to each other. And so they head off. Um, they drive away in their car as a storm is brewing. Uh, this is the point where we get our framing device. We get um, the criminologist. He starts being like, telling us about the plot. He's flipping through his massive book of like, basic magazine cutouts and photocopies of encyclopedias which is very funny Mm -hmm. so many beautiful details in this film um so after um damn it janet our second song um they're driving down the like through woods and they're listening to richard nixon resign on the radio (laughs) (laughs) Um, nothing gets me hotter than hearing richard nixon resign right it's a beautiful little uh detail that exists there and uh over over the course of a series of events their tire gets blown out and they're like oh my god we need to we're, we're stuck out here in the rain and brad turns to janet and i was like janet i'm a man and I'm going to protect you. And as a consequence, I'm going to go to that castle we found back there. And I'm going to search for a telephone. And Janet's like, oh no, I don't want to be left alone in the rain. I'm coming with you. She specifically says, what if a beautiful woman comes and seduces you? <laughs> Clearly showing her gaydar is immensely off. Um, so Brad and Janet head off. Thus we get our third song. We're absolutely rocketing through the plot here. We get our third song, which is Over at the Frankenstein Place. First time I ever watched this movie, I hated this song. I thought it was really boring. Um, But actually, this song is a really good opportunity to talk about Rocky Horror's history. Oh, 
Go so, on. Rocky Horror was really, really badly received. That is complete shock to me. I would have thought audiences in the 1970s would have eaten this up. <laughs> um, so it wasn't doing very well in like conventional cinema. I believe the director, Jim Sherman, uh, started persuading people to show them at midnight. So there was this new thing that started happening where you do midnight showings where you it was like a bit of like a secret, like, oh, we're going to go out late and watch something at midnight. Um, and they started showing Rocky Horror Midnight Sequences. And they started doing it on a college campus. And there was a group of university professors or teachers or something that every single time Rocky Horror was showing would just go out and watch Rocky Horror. Every single time it was showing. I don't know why, but they did. Icons. And in this scene, Janet is holding a newspaper over her head to protect herself from the rain and run in, go in towards the castle. And one of the teachers shelled, shouted at the movie, buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch. Mm-hmm. And this started a long tradition of all of that group of teachers when they went and saw the movie trying to entertain each other by yelling a different thing at the film at different points in time, like commentating on it. Mm -hmm. And this proved so much fun that random audience members started doing it too. Until it became the thing when you went and saw Rocky Horror as you shouted back at the film um, and you would see it over and over again. And it was called like counterpoint dialogue later on. Like, But uh, yeah, so this group of teachers saved rocky horror because people fucking loved yelling back at the movie this is so funny because this reminds me of when cats came out <laughs> and people started doing rowdy viewings of cats oh my god where they just would yell at the screen while cats was the what 2019 cats oh wow so um, yeah yeah you know it's a tradition that lives on it's a long and story tradition but yeah that's why rocky horror became popular because so people really enjoyed yelling back at it and then they started doing like stage performances of it where there were particular things that you would yell and now it's like the thing that you go to rocky horror and you go in costume and you like bring rice and toilet roll and a bunch of other random objects that you can like throw on stage at various moments so um i think this is interesting because the film obviously wasn't designed with this in mind no but it does feel like the kind of film that wants you to yell back at it. Right, it's a very interactive film. Exactly. It's it's there's something almost pantomime about it. <laughs> pantomime is perfect. Obviously, yeah. I don't think the context it's coming from is one that is aware of pantomime, but I mean yeah. it was shot over here. Yeah, it was. That's true. That's true. I found that out. <laughs> um so fun fact about Rocky Horror. Um it's still in limited release in 2022. Uh, when we're recording this which means 47 years after the premiere it is still in the cinema which is the longest theatrical release in cinema history that is fantastic and also deserved yeah um i i fucking love that fact i'm so excited to go to a 50th anniversary rocky horror picture oh, that's show like three years from now isn't that's it? so close mm-hmm. um but yeah no i think that's a really fun little fact that just because people love yelling at that film that's why it's popular um it's it's about going and mo- watching that movie again and again and again and starting to participate in it with the people around you um this is me establishing my theory for the rest of the episode listen up dun, 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 dun. so 
Um, Janet and Brad, after being confronted by Richard O'Brien leaning against a doorframe, are invited into the castle. Haven't we all been here, you know? <laughs> right on the rain, Richard O'Brien shows up and is like, want to come into my creepy castle? And we're like, yeah, sure. For people who didn't watch the movie with us, I was yelling Shannon and Cannon every time I saw Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn on screen. <laughs> like, they do something, and I was like, that's just Cannon. Cannon never does this. No, <laughs> but I honestly think Cannon could be improved if he were to embrace a more theatrical side of being furniture. Right? right? I ask for nothing, master, and you shall get it in space! <laughs> um... So we get the most iconic song from Rocky Horror. Yes. I, fun fact, when I was a child, Uh we used to do these like drama camps over the summer and spring holidays. And uh, it would just usually be like, we do these little like improvs and Mm -hmm. between the improv scenes, we'd do songs that had been pre-picked out. Yep. And one of them was always, let's do the time warp again. Right. So I've no, I've been familiar with the song since I was probably about seven, and um, I know all the dance moves. Yep. Great time, big, big, fabulous number. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it this early. That was the yeah. thing. I was like, oh, this that song's going to be at the end of the film. No, Whoa. it's like the fourth song. It's like the fourth song. We do get a little tiny reprise later on, but no, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny to me that Time Warp is like a staple of family disco. And let, yet it's like so sexual, even at yes. this point in the movie, we're immediately getting like groups of people thrusting into each other. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. Again, there are so many points in Rocky where I'm like, I'm sure they couldn't have done this because they would not have been able to get away with it. But I think today everyone would have been naked doing that number. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're having a whole time. Naked, but when there's like little dickies like around their necks. <laughs> That's what like it would magic be. Mike. Yeah, yeah. Like magic Everyone Mike. is dressed like that. That's what would happen. <laughs> That's what would happen. Um, so. Oh, and we've got the criminologist through the number explaining what the dance moves are. Yep. It's fabulous. Absolutely beautiful. It's so funny to me that this is like a staple of family discos. It is. It's so funny that I was exposed to the song at seven years old. Yeah, and yet it's such a such an important part of this like. Mm-hmm astoundingly horny movie oh oh god it's horny but like it sets out it's not accidentally horny it knows it knows what it's doing it It knows what it's doing much like hit visual novel (laughs) umineko it knows what it's doing with the horniness (laughs) oh dear um so we get we get let's do the time warp we get brad one of my favorite lines of the movie where brad like janet's like come on brad say something we need to get to our telephone and Brad's like, say, do you guys know how to Madison? <laughs> Which is just like, what one on I Brad is having like a great time. Janet's fainting. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like really dramatically fainting yeah. for a few minutes. <laughs> it's so, so flipping good. Mm-hmm. Um and they're like backing out from this room full of like very queer coded people all wearing like suits with various different i hair. was just there and i was like oh yeah this is my standard like gathering like this is a standard <laughs> get together honestly uh so they're backing out of this room they're terrified by the random dancers mm-hmm. and um and lo uh who should be behind them in the lift but the floating face of tim curry swathed in this satin cloak Honestly, 
like that was that was like in the movie i was like finally this movie is beginning there he fucking is timothy curry i love him so much (laughs) i just like i want tim curry in literally everything i wasn't fully aware until we watched this movie quite how deep your love of tim curry went oh my god i am obsessed i'm i can't remember exactly where my tim curry obsession starts Uh um I know that probably the first thing I ever saw him in was uh, Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, where uh, he, which was animated in Japan. So he's playing this, like, uh-huh. incredibly evil, like, <laughs> dapper English anime character. What? And that is how I fell in love with him. Yeah, that seems like cool. Also, day. Long John Silver and Muppet's Treasure Island was probably my second exposure. Oh, yeah, and Muppet's I love Tim him Curry. in that. Muppet's Tim Curry. Muppet's Tim Curry. Where are the Muppets in this? That's my only critique. <laughs> Well, Muppets a thing. Oh no, it was a year after. No, we were robbed. Oh. Robbed. Oh, that's why there were no Muppets in this. Okay, I'm revising my my claim. I think had this been made a couple of years later, there'd be Muppets in this. <laughs> Jim Henson would have loved this. I do not know how I feel about the Muppets takes, but I do think Jim Henson would have loved it. <laughs> Having seen Labyrinth. Yeah. Oh. Tim Curry in Labyrinth. I oh love David gosh. Bowie, but like, could you oh. imagine? I'm um, oh. gonna take a brief self-indulgent tangent to talk about the first piece of media I ever saw Tim Curry in, which was the video game Brutal Legend. Oh boy, do continue. Because <laughs> he plays the villain in Brutal Legend. Um, the main character is voiced by Jack Black. Uh, this is everything I have for you. This is like Brutal Legend is such a Rowan core thing. It's I need to play this, clearly. It's bad. Yeah, that's not stopped me before. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, you have played Hit Visual Novel Illuminati. Oh, shut up! <laughs> shut up. Uh, so Tim Curry does a beautiful number. Mm-hmm. Um, proper like drag reveal of like throwing off this cloak to reveal like a corset and some like high stockings and suspenders and i'm living i'm clapping and screaming i'm getting up i'm pacing around the room agitatedly um yeah and i'm looking at his crotch (laughs) oh dear oh dear um some of the language here is interesting um he calls himself a transvestite the song itself was called sweet transvestite sweet transvestite from uh sexual was later revealed to be the planet and solar system that he is from yeah yes beautiful as far as like world building goes i think yeah and i mean honestly when are we gonna discover the planet of transsexual transsexual in the transylvania solar system that's what i want to know Mm-hmm. Um, for a time, uh, I, I spent a couple of years being like, Rocky Horror is bad because it uses the word transvestite and transsexual. Um, I have more feelings on this later, but I think it's worth highlighting here. Like, it's interesting. They use some pretty outdated language, but it's still like a song about embracing, like, Frankenfurter loves, Frankenfurter fucking loves himself, and everybody else in that room fucking loves Frankenfurter. Honestly, everyone in this film loves Frankenfurter. It's just like a given that he is a being of pure sexual charisma, and yeah. like I live. Yeah, and, and he and he is. He is. Um, so Frank delivers uh one of the more iconic lines in the movie, which is "I see you shiver with anticipation." 
Nation. <laughs> and uh, as a consequence, um, they're all invited up to his lab to see what he has created. To see on his slab. His lab. Um, and lo, uh, he has unlocked the secret to life. Um, it, it, it's worth noting here. So there's a sequence where like Brad and Janet are forcibly stripped down to their underwear by Magenta and oh god, what's his name? Richard O'Brien's character. Riff Raff. Riff Raff. Thank you. They're forcibly stripped down to their underwear by Magenta and Riff Raff, which is like sort of played as like they're uncomfortable, but they're letting it happen. It's a bit bizarre. Um, they're definitely starting to be seduced by this yeah. alternative world. You get the vibe throughout this entire sequence that Janet is like into Tim Curry. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> Frank and Fletcher is like flirting with her. He like kisses her hand and is like asking her questions. She's like, of course I don't have any tattoos. <laughs> and meanwhile, Brad is like, I do not have any tattoos. I am closeted homosexual. Brad, I'm not sure if he's closeted or just stupid. <laughs> like, I'm wondering if prior to coming to this house, Brad had any concept of what sex was. I don't think so. I think he might be onto something there. <laughs> God bless that poor, stupid man. Uh, so Tim Curry is flirting with them. Everyone's in their underwear. There's like a large crowd observing with them. Uh, voyeurism is like an ongoing theme throughout this movie i'm not really gonna like go into it too deeply i'm sure there's some interesting analysis that could be made between like the viewer being voyeuristic of the film and the film being voyeuristic of itself but i'm not doing that even by today's standards is fairly decadent but i imagine for the 70s like oh holy shit so yes it is very voyeuristic to be viewing this heavily alternate lifestyle right decadence decadence darling darling so um as a consequence uh so they're they're invited up to the lab and they witness tim curry making a tank of rainbow juice (laughs) to create his ideal like hunk yes yeah he's slowly like unwrapped from these like uh wrappings that this like body has been in and it's just like Imagine, imagine, like, the perfect shonen protagonist. No, 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 he's not the perfect shonen protagonist. He is a protagonist of part nine of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yes, yeah, he's a JoJo's. He's a Jo. Um, Rocky is, like, all perfect muscle, 0.2% body fat. He's, like, blonde and, like, tall and, like, yeah, just like... And he is just born, and so he is fucking stupid Mm -hmm. he does not he does not know what's going on um tim curry is like singing this sensual number to him like i'm gonna make you a man and rocky's like i do like that i have he also sings a song about the sword of damocles hanging over him yeah so he he immediately wakes up and grabs onto like part of the lab equipment and gets flung around the room there are so many songs in this film anyway he gets flung around the room and he's like wow fate exists i'm having complicated feelings acknowledging my life anyway time to flex Mm -hmm. um and tim curry's like following him around the room slathering at the mouth and you know what fair enough i mean it's so funny because as you pointed out when we were watching rocky's like way more into himself than literally anyone else in the film rocky is just happy to see that he has like a body and some muscles it's so good Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um 
And during this like sequence of them all parading around the lab, Frankenfurter leans against a big switch that leads to a freezer. And my favorite character of the entire movie gets his like three minutes of screen time. Fuck yes. Fuck yes, meatloaf. Because who should come out of the fridge? Meatloaf! Mm. Um, and he's singing a song. Of course he is, because everyone in this movie is singing. It's mm. a musical. And he's wearing this leather jacket with the sleeves cut off. He's covered in ice. He's got a motorbike. I'm screaming. I'm clapping. I love meatloaf. I love a bit of cheese. Um, I love some uh, meatloaf with my curry. <laughs> Oh dear, not the cannibalism already. <laughs> um, so Meatloaf is like parading around the room and uh, Frank is like, oh, no, not having this. And so kills him. Yeah, he's like, he sees that Rocky's kind of into Meatloaf and you've got, uh, what's the name of the groupie character? Uh, Columbia. Yes, it's like really into him. Yeah. Like, I get the impression that they've like had a romantic history before, yeah. I think. Well, it's clear that Columbia had a thing with Frankenfurter because everyone had a thing with Frankenfurter. Everyone's had a thing with Frankenfurter. And then kind of had a thing with Eddie Meatloaf. Yep. Um, but yeah, but then but Frankenfurter gets jealous because Rocky's clearly into this. Yeah. And uh, chases him into the freezer with a pickaxe. Yeah, I think it is a pickaxe. Yeah, and just like hacks him to bits and just casually yeah. comes out covered in blood. Like, okay, back to me singing. <laughs> Frankenfurter's like, gouge the head and kill. <laughs> um... Yeah. I love how casual the murder is in this because even yeah. like Brad and Janet at this point seem too far gone to really acknowledge that a man was just murdered in front of them. Yeah, everyone's just like a little bit too horny to realize. I mean, at this point, the film's so kind of otherworldly that something like that can just happen yep. and it feels perfectly natural. Yeah. Um, so um, Frank murders Eddie. Yes. And goes back to singing. Frank and Rocky go off to fuck. Yes, yeah. And uh, uh, Brad and Janet are escorted yeah. to their rooms where uh, Columbia, Magenta, and Riff Raff are, like, watching. Yeah. There's, like, there's basically, like, CCTV all over the house. I want to talk about the moment where uh, Rocky and um, Frankenfurter go off to their bedroom. Yeah. Briefly. Um, because this is a really interesting moment because we hear, like... Uh, on a electric guitar of some description like the the wedding oh march. yeah like a bridal riff yeah. yeah they're like holding hands people are throwing confetti over them it's a really interesting like parallel moment to marriage which is what the movie opens with the movie opens yeah. with a heterosexual marriage and this is kind of a perversion of that almost it's really yeah. interesting yeah it's the creator and the created dr frankenstein in hand with frankenstein's monster walking through the aisle of a wedding it's like the the instead of in the heterosexual marriage where it's like no it's a sexual thing for the man and like a just a political thing for the woman actually frankenfurter who is the most feminine of the two is the one that's desperately horny yeah. and rocky is like oh well i've got some sick muscles actually and you put some oil on them and i feel great about that it's a really it's a really interesting moment. So like for example the shots are reversed where in the wedding we have the couple coming towards us from out of the church. Mm -hmm. Rocky and uh Frankenfurter move away from us. I don't know that there's a like a, a deep meaning I particularly want to draw, draw draw from this, but it is really interesting this like parallel that's made between 
this versus like the marriage that the movie opens with yeah and the heterosexuality like the heterosexual world in which we are coming from into this oh for those who have read um echo you know that there is some marriage stuff going on in that game that i want to talk about but rowan hasn't got there yet so i have uh, not got there oh uh, we'll save it for another day hey, but i do find it very interesting i knew this was a good pick of film to watch <laughs> So Brad and Janet go to bed and we get in a really interesting sequence whereby Frankenfurter comes to both of them in their bedrooms and seduces each one by pretending to be the other half of the couple. We get yes. Janet first and then Brad. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I think, one of the most significant or impactful scenes of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it represents like this this violation of this heterosexual couple which we've assumed to be a constant throughout the film and frank is the one doing it yes frank as somebody who is assigned male at birth but is presenting very femininely um as this kind of actually quite predatory object of desire Yes. It's also shot really interestingly. They're in like these kind of four poster beds with like veils over them. And the whole thing is shot with the veil in front of it. So you can only really see it being acted out through shadow. Yes. Yeah. And they've got these red and blue lights which are going on. Yeah. Um, So this scene always feels a little bit awkward to me. Mm. Um, Watching it, I always feel a little bit like upset. Um, I think that's because there's this weird, like, moment where Frank sort of is sort of pushing himself onto these people and they don't necessarily agree to begin with. And so it always... The consent is a little bit dubious to begin with. But both Janet and Brad do eventually give verbal consent and have sex with Dr. Frankenfurter. Frankenfurter is framed as this fetish this uncontrollable desire that these two characters have for like raw sexuality and the sensuality that frankenfurter portrays because frankenfurter primarily is quite sensual character as well Mm. as a sexual one Mm. instead of mirroring what might happen with a trans female person in this scenario if a trans female person for example was a sex worker we know throughout trans history that like Oftentimes, you get lots of instances of heterosexual men going to trans women who are sex workers, having sex with them, and then being so angry at their repressed emotions and the feeling that they may have like done something illicit that they take it out on the trans person and oftentimes actually kill the sex worker. If you look at the statistics for trans death, mm-hmm. um, that is like one of the big reasons why a lot of trans people are killed from hate crime is their sex workers who have just serviced the man who has killed them Mm -hmm. in this scene it's reversed frankenfurter is put in this position of power there is nothing janet or brad could do to hurt frankenfurter they're in frank's domain they're powerless to harm frank they just can give in to their own desires mm-hmm. and i don't know that it's a perfect scene but it is a really interesting analysis of like trans experience of being fetishized of being like i will say i find it very interesting after the scene yes 
Janet is going around looking for Brad yes. because she feels like, you know, like violated. She's lost her virginity to this. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then she looks on the monitor in Frank's lab and sees this hilarious shot of Tim Curry lying in Brad's bed and Brad sitting on the end of the bed smoking a cigarette <laughs> and just immediately is like, oh my God, they fucked. How dare he? How dare he? Even though I just fucked him. Even though I just fucked him. So some lines from... Uh, brad and frank's encounter that i want to highlight brad says at some point uh because frank approaches brad immediately in like a wig and a gown pretending to be yes Janet. and also does a perfect imitation of susan sarandon yes <laughs> uh and brad says quote i thought it was the real thing which is not necessarily delivered as like i thought it was really janet it's it's a really interesting line delivery that I'm I'm always a little bit like, what do you mean the real thing, darling? I think it is interesting because this is simultaneously a film that wants you to think and not think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a film that wants you to like, sort of just take it all as it comes. Right. But also is like, wants you to respond at the same right. time. One thing this has reminded me of, I was reading an article about Rocky Horror in preparation for this. Um, where somebody was talking about how interesting it is the reversal of like you have somebody who is I'm gonna call Frankenfurter transgender here. Um, but yeah, it's it's not clear, but then like sort of trans like stuff in the 70s was less no. kind of clear cut as it was today. Yeah, this so gender fuckery happening. There is some gender fuckery happening with this curry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Frankenfurter is placed as the medical professional performing the creation of a body, which is a really interesting reversal of a lot of trans people's experience, like having surgery and being like mm. beholden to a cis person who is like creating your body for you. Um, and I saw an article that was a really interesting like take of that. And I I'd like, say that oh. there was also an aspect of it where it's part of the trans experience where you are recreating your own body in an image that you so desire. Fuck yeah. <laughs> anyway, Fuck uh, yeah. I fucking love uh, Frank and Fletcher in this movie. Yes. Yes. Um, Frank is beautiful. Frank is uh, Frank is something else. And uh, then we get the best song on the show. And then we get Touch a Touch a Touch Me. Honestly, I knew going into this that I was going to love this, even though the Glee tried its hardest to ruin this <laughs> song for me. Um, Janet has had her first taste of the forbidden fruit and whoo, has she liked it. Uh, so she wanders off looking for Brad, looking for comfort, and lo, she falls into the arms of a whimpering Rocky, whom she shows affection for and subsequently fucks. Yeah, while um, Columbia and Magenta watch. Yeah, point to voyeurism. <laughs> um, and yeah, be- best song in the uh, in the film. Yeah, it's my favorite. I I respect that. It's definitely like. Um, I think it's one of the better examples of them leveraging very different vocal ranges in the cast yeah. to make a really interesting soundscape. So the end of the song where there's everybody over Janet and they're all singing Creature of the Night and everybody's got this different funky voice and it's like you get Columbia at the end, she's like this really high-pitched, like operatic almost. Yeah. But then you get like Richard O'Brien being like, Creature of the Night! Tim Curry being like, creature of the night. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. We love to see it. We get um, Frankenfurter like storms in. Yeah. And is horrified that someone else would sleep with Rocky. 
Yeah, so we get a beautiful sequence where Frank and uh, Brad are chasing uh, riffraff by whipping riffraff. Frank is wearing an iconic, beautiful leather jacket covered in pins. Yeah, uh, Frank literally looks like he's on his way to like a pride rally. Yeah. Like I, he so came in and I was like, oh, so you're on your way to like a leather bar? Nice. Yeah, we, we love to see it. Anyway, Frank is like literally whipping riffraff and being like, why the fuck did you let Rocky, Rocky escape? Let's find him on the like CCTV. And they're going through the CCTV and they see not else but dr scott the person who introduced janet and brad to each other in the first place Mm -hmm. he's like this old guy in a wheelchair yeah he's he's the scientist yeah yeah i think in the beginning of the movie he's introduced as a rival scientist yeah he's he's a rival scientist to dr frankenfurter yes and uh, they see that Dr. Scott is here and they use a big magnet to magnetize Dr. Scott's wheelchair into the room. It's so funny. It's, it's Rocky Horror, of course, being the 70s, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be complete without a touch of racism. So aside from the fact that there's no people of color in this film, we do also get the Zen room, which makes Zen noises um, and makes really fast Zen noises as Dr. Scott is being magnetized into the laboratory. It is funny, though. I mean, it's. It, like, I think any fast song would have been funny at that point, though. Yeah, How I is don't there not a genre of like video which is just different songs put to Doctor Scott being magnetized up uh, up through the uh, Rocky Horror House? Oh my god! I would like that, except it's Golden Slaughterer from Umineko. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Um, as as to being able-bodied uh, white people, this is definitely a scene that we are very qualified to be commenting on. Oh, definitely, hundred percent. Um, um, and uh, then. Dr. Scott is like, where is my son, Eddie? Uh, nephew. Nephew, not son. Nephew. nephew. Yeah, so there's That's this, the like, very convoluted conversation that's, like, three or four different directions, which is one of the things that I would posit as, like, this is a Pulp Fiction, science fiction uh, movie because the very staple of that genre is, like, the transmuter, which is a thing that we have been working on that is a particle emitter, blah, blah, blah. And they definitely do that in this scene. And it's like, Eddie, who was my nephew? And it's like this this big cheesy reveal of like big plot stuff happening. Like, yeah. that feels very pulp science fiction to me. And then we uh, we get, uh, Dr. Frankenfurter invites everyone for dinner and says, don't bother getting dressed, just like come as you are. Yes. And then we cut to the dinner scene and Frankenfurter has changed into this like, like sparkly like robe. Yeah. And everyone else is wearing exactly what they were, including uh, Brad and Janet, who are naked. Yeah, Brad and Janet are both in their underwear. Uh, Columbia is in ripped-up pyjamas, uh, which you can see one of her nips through the slit. Uh, Magenta and Riff Raff are, I think, just in underwear. Nobody is fully clothed in this scene. Frank has got, like, a half-body suit on, but there's not yeah. a lot hidden. And then we get this really awkward scene where they're, like, cutting what looks like a chicken or, like, a turkey yeah. with an electric knife and serving it. Yeah. And then suddenly people realise that they're eating Eddie. Yeah. So, um, Dr. Scott's like, Oi, tell me about Eddie. Dr. Frankenfurter's like, You're a Nazi. Because he's like, should I say Dr. Von Scott? And everyone looks at Dr. Scott like, wait, you're German? Uh, which I imagine <laughs> to mean, wait, you're a Nazi? Or you were a Nazi affiliated? Because I assume in 1975, a lot of the 
really old ass scientists had very genius. Well, I mean, there was like this kind of existing genre tradition of having old Nazi scientists doing questionable things. Right. Um, I honestly, when I figured this out that Dr. Scott was a Nazi, that was really important for me, like understanding the framing of the rest of the film. Because every time, once you figure out he's a Nazi, every time he agrees with something, you're like, eh. Yeah, Columbia's horrified that she's eating Eddie. Dr. Scott has this little song about like how Eddie was a fucking delinquent when he was a kid. He didn't like his teddy. We knew he was a no good kid, etc., etc. Um, they're all they're all singing. It seems like Frank is a little bit into the. He's like, okay, I hate you all, but it is a bop. Um, and it it. it something something snaps at some point i think frank's just like pissed off that they're all having a good time and he's like no i'm the boss and uh, starts chasing janet through the house yeah we get one of the songs alongside sort of damocles that isn't in the cast recording album release which mm. is like jack planet Schmanet janet where mm. he says the iconic line you're as sensual as a pencil um mm-hmm. things only tim curry could rhyme Honestly, Central as a Pencil, Shannon Umineko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it, huh? Uh, so he chases them back through the house all the way up to the lab, where he has a thing called the Transmedusa. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, that is my new uh, self-identification label. <laughs> Courtney's new gamer tag, Transmedusa. Transmedusa. <laughs> where he like uses it to turn... Like, what is it? It's um, Rocky, Dr. Scott. Can we get turned to statues? Dr. Scott, Brad, Janet, Rocky, and Columbia. Yeah. But, like, when they're turned into statues, they're naked. Yeah, so their clothes just disappear, I guess. Apart from Dr. Scott, who keeps the blanket on. Who keeps the blanket on? We don't get to see Dr. Scott's dick. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit of conflict. So, obviously, the three, Janet, Brad, and Dr. Scott, hate Frank and Furter. This is established, but... After he transforms them all into uh, statues, we get a little bit of, like, Columbia conflict and a little bit of um, Rocky conflict where they both try and confront Dr. Frankenfurter. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, so, so he also transforms them into statues. And this is the first moment where we get, like, Magenta and Riff Raff stand up to Dr. Frankenfurter as well. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oi, come on we need to do our alien shit and it's like oh and he's like no get ready for the floor show uh and so we get teleported into a big theater where everybody's been dressed up in corsets yes so all the statues have been like made up yep they're wearing corsets and feather boas and they're just one by one sort of unfrozen yes and start performing yeah so um yeah, one of the lines I want to highlight here, um, obviously they're all sort of recounting what's happened to them and how they feel about stuff in the song. Um, uh, Brad really wants his mummy. That's that's slightly later on. He's like, <clears throat> what's, uh, what's become of me? Help me, mummy. And then Columbia just thrusts his face into a swimming pool. Which I love that. Iconic. Brad also says, um, what's this? Let's see. I feel sexy. Which I think is a really interesting theme that this movie is just like these like really het dudes. Like super well super oppressed both of them. Yeah. 
just slow like actually all of them because dr scott rocky and brad i think are all like different forms of masculinity mm-hmm. and all of them are like super repressed any form of like sexuality or when it's expressed in them it's always like masculine yeah and in this scene they all get to wear like stockings and makeup and feel yes sexy. when dr scott is unfrozen we get the reveal that underneath his blanket are these like stockinged high-heeled yes. legs and he like wheels on stage kicking them yes yeah and it's, it's this really interesting moment where it's like these people are being seduced by like how this makes them feel good about themselves as well as like the mm. joy of like i get to make out with tim curry and as you pointed out uh susan sarandon's corset is like glued to her nips yeah so little Nell clearly doesn't care about people seeing her nips so she's just like uh just full boobies out mm-hmm. at the time but susan sarandon i don't know why respect she's like nope no nips no nips today and so the corset is just like glued to her so she like thrusts her arms up at one point and where it would just like be just like oh the tits are popping out on little now uh susan sarandon has no such no such poppage which is fair yeah the cement used to word has it susan sarandon is still in that corset (laughs) to this very day shout out to the costume designer for defeating nature (laughs) Um, one of the things I want to talk about about this entire sequence is it takes place in a theatre. It's really interesting because, like, obviously Rocky Horror was initially a movie and then became a stage production, I'm pretty sure. Um, but it's it's certainly, like, this really interesting, like, viewer-subject uh, relationship where we're confronted by the fact that we're watching a performance within a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, we get this, like, big... Uh, radio tower in the background of this set um, which is like a really another like interesting reference to television and we get um, throughout the sequence of like we get three songs kind of back to back here um, there is a big sequence where everybody's sort of writhing around in the swimming pool yes and the way it's shot is very pleasing because we're getting lots of like sparkly corsets and bodies writhing around yeah and some synchronized swimming and some synchronized swimming but if you were sat where the audience is supposed to be sat at this point in time, this would be fucking awful to watch because you just see a bit of splashing. Hey, <laughs> sounds like a good time to me. Just seeing a little bit of splashing and occasionally a boob. What kind of porn do you think I watch? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting, like... Mm, there's like a lot of framing devices going on within mm. each other and i feel like the movie doesn't really give a shit about the integrity of any of them yeah and that feels appropriate to the genre yes and then uh the aliens show up with blasters yeah so magenta and Rufra show up in like shiny gold tabards and stockings and are like we're gonna laser fight oh and magenta has this amazing bride of frankenstein yeah. hair i live yeah it's so good um and yeah, so they have this laser gun filled with antimatter. Yeah. Um, and uh, then, um, so first they shoot Columbia. Yeah, they have this big science conversation, and then Columbia's like, no, don't shoot Frank and Butter. I still love Frank. And then they shoot her. Yeah. Um, and then Frank Butter starts like climbing up the, cu- the stage curtain to try and get away, yeah. and is then also shot. 
So I want to briefly backtrack very quickly. So we get a song between oh, them yes. reveal. Because Frank thinks that he's going to be just like taken home as like a yeah. captive. Yeah. And we get, I think, an incredibly raw song from Frank. Tim Curry is just going for it. But yeah. like, what do you expect? It's Tim Curry. Yeah. He's got those lines about like seeing a woman wearing satin and he like sees uh it as it clung to her thigh while i started to cry and he's like he's mourning the ability to be sensual in the same way as this imagined woman we never get a name for the woman we never get like much context about how frank has seen this woman but it's this like i don't know a really interesting like rawness to this song of like I want to achieve this kind of femininity and I can't. The imagined audiences that are filled to that song. Yeah, so there's this imagined crowd of people that all sit in the, the, the seats and they all applaud Frank. And I just, it's a really, really raw moment here of like desire for beauty and Frank maybe not feeling like he can ever achieve it. And I just, I, I, I wanted to talk about it because I think it's like a really interesting part of the movie to think about like the film is conferring raw trans experience actually like yeah sometimes you do like sometimes you do feel like that and then they shoot him yeah then he gets shot and then rocky tries to carry him up like the radio tower and then rocky gets shot yeah there's this beautiful moment where rocky like pulls the curtain away to reveal frank's unconscious body and there's this like beautiful soaring strings melody and i'm like ah there's the pulp science fiction moment of like hero and heroine and it's like oh no she's dead i must try and rescue her but instead of like actually doing anything helpful rocky just climbs up the set and gets shot a bunch of times and they fall into the pool yeah and then the old nazi's like oh well good riddance (laughs) yeah yeah so uh dr scott literally says quote society must be protected which once you start viewing that as like that's a nazi saying that that's a really interesting moment mm-hmm. uh and then um magenta and rafafla to uh the uh the victims yep. are like okay get out we're leaving <laughs> yeah they're like we're gonna teleport this entire castle away you should probably leave now and they're like okay bye yeah they uh both skedaddle they all yes. skedaddle and uh, they're like sprawled on the ground. Yeah, as riding the, around. Yeah, as the castle is beamed up into the yeah. sky. <laughs> There's a big rainbow that appears over the castle, which is quite funny. Yeah, and the criminologist likens humans to ants crawling across the earth. Yes. Yeah, it's quite a quite an interesting ending. I mean, uh, one of the cores of the pulp fiction genre is like a cheerful ending. We do not get that here. Well, it's not necessarily a cheerful ending. I'd say one of the key things of the pulp genre is a dramatic ending. Oh, it's dramatic. It's dramatic. Like, I again liken to a little shop, which ends yes. with uh, everyone dying. Yes. Depending on whether you watch the stage production or the movie. Or the new uncut ending of the movie. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, so... That was a very fast recap of Rocky Horror. I feel like we sped through it, even though we're quite far into the recording now yeah yeah i mean we hit all the beats it is a movie that i do feel like cannot be explained 
I think yeah. there's something about it that requires you to watch it to fully understand it. It is a vibes-based movie. It is very much a vibes movie, uh, which I love. Yeah. I love a good vibes movie. Rocky Horror is, like, an important part of, like, queer history, I think. Yes. Even if now we can look back at the movie and we're like, wow, there's some really problematic features to this. Actually, it's, like, core. Some problematic double features. Double features, science fiction picture show. (laughs) I want to go. For me, the important part of Rocky Horror is not actually the movie itself, but the experience of community that one has around it. So what you're saying is, Rocky Horror is Glee. <laughs> For the audio listeners, I just made the most pained expression. Courtney. Um, so I was reading up about the Rocky Horror festivals that happen, mm-hmm. where like it'll be several days and every single day you go and re-watch Rocky Horror. Mm. And it's like, the point of seeing Rocky Horror is about watching it with a group of preferably queer people or other queer people it's it's a movie about the material queer community it's not a movie about like sitting by yourself and watching it and then going and having a wank it's a movie about like well it could be it could be it could if be you really movie. like tim curry i mean there's there's worse ways to spend an evening that's there what i'm saying worse ways to spend an evening but i think it's primarily a movie about like getting dressed up a little bit slutty with your queer friends and going and yelling at a tv screen for a couple of hours being a bit messy um one of the things about i think uh often if you spend your entire time online also you forget about how messy queer communities are like there will be old trans people who hate the word queer there will be trans people who identify as transsexual rather than transgender there are trans people who play a hit visual novel umineko and go wow that murder witch she's me i hope i never meet any of those people in real life Rocky Horror is a movie that is most fun when you watch it with other people. Mm-hmm. It's most fun like your sixth time through it because you know all the lyrics to the movie and you know what to yell at it and you're having fun and you're drinking rum with your best friend sat on a sofa trying to tie knots in strawberry laces. And you're like, this is a great fucking film. Um, it is a movie about empowerment through liberation and community and it is okay that was beautiful. Thanks. I still stand by my take that it's Glee. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I hate you so much. Oh, I'm very glad we watched this. I'm so glad. We I feel like this. I've gotten closer to you. Yeah. No, it was. Um, it was really fun. Yeah. I had a good time, and um, I, I just cemented that my favorite genre of film is a heterosexual couple discovering. Um, queerness through being uh, transported to an otherworldly dimension. Which is why immediately afterwards I was like, I want to watch Beetlejuice. Uh, <laughs> uh, Courtney does so many things to upset me. Beetlejuice doesn't have meatloaf in it and that's why I don't like it. But it has Michael Keaton in it. It does have Michael Keaton in it. Um, Keaton. This episode would not be complete without uh, me doing a little Richard O'Brien rant. Go for it. The floor is yours. Richard O'Brien, um, voice of Lawrence Fletcher and Phineas and Ferb most significantly, and then afterwards Riff Raff in Rocky Horror. Um, he uses he him pronouns, but he considers himself, quote, third gender. 
he has been on estrogen before apparently and has quotedly said that he is 70 percent male and 30 percent female richard o'brien is um it's it's interesting it's one of those things where i'm like oh the trans community can be messy because like richard o'brien on one hand like has created some seminal works of fiction for the queer community on the other hand in a 2020 interview with the garden o'brien was reported to saying quote I think anybody who decides to take a huge step with a sex change deserves encouragement and a thumbs up. As long as they're happy and fulfilled, I implored them to my very last day. But you can't ever become a natural woman. Which is a really bizarre fucking take. Why did he feel the need to say that, I wonder? Why did... So he's been on record agreeing with, like, Jermaine Greer about trans people. And so he's just this, like, horrifyingly messy individual. And it just... I just I just want to, like, append this with, like... The trans community is allowed to be messy. The trans community is allowed to be, like, full of solidarity. You are also allowed to criticise your trans elders. I'm so sorry. I'm going to do this one last time. Yeah? Rocky Horror is Glee. No! It is 1970s Glee. No! I'm so sorry. It's the same thing. No! I've never seen Glee. I imagine if I'd seen Glee, I might be a bit more. It's like this horrible, messy, problematic show designed by our queer elders that has the queer community together in solidarity. But like, my God. Right. I guess yeah. the the key The key is like you can love something and also be critical of it. Like I love Riff Raff as a character. I love a lot of like Rocky Horror stuff. I. I also remain critical of it and I particularly remain critical of Richard O'Brien as like a human being and all of his takes. Mm-hmm. I just, I wanted to like, I couldn't go off air without saying, you know, sometimes you're like, I need to, I need to Listen, air this fucking thing. As the podcast take dispenser, I expect <laughs> nothing less of you. Official hidden tea party take is Richard O'Brien, a little bit cringe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But hey- so is hit visual novel author Ryuki Shio Seven. So Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. At least he's not fetishizing children. Um, this is your call, if this is your first episode, to go and listen to our mainline episodes about hit visual novel Umineko. If you want to hear me dispense more takes about people being problematic. And cringe. And cringe. It is cringe to sexualize children, and that is a hill I am willing to die on. This all being said, my darling Cortensia, do you have any closing thoughts and feelings about the movie Rocky Horror that you wish to share with our listener? I will try my best not to talk about Glee. Um, <laughs> um, no, my, my closing takes as well. How have I not seen this earlier? Um, this clearly paved the way for many of my favourite films. Yeah. And um, I think we should do this again. I had a very fun time. We'd rewatch Rocky Horror. No, I was going to say we watched Death Becomes Her, but like, yeah, we could do Rocky yeah, Horror we again. Do Rocky Horror. Um, I I am aware that there are a couple of movies that would be very good things to talk about that share themes with Umineko. I'm also thinking about the movie Clue. Um, yes. I have a movie that I would like to append Umineko with. I have something in mind, which Ooh. I shall not reveal. Oh, well, I'm very excited to watch Sister Act 2. <laughs> Um, but if you would like another bonus episode where we watch a film and get a little bit tipsy and sit in the same room to record, 
please write into the pod and tell us what we should be watching. Um, we watched the entirety of Glee. Hey, do you know anything meatloaf's been in? My fridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all of our social medias will oh, be in the description. Oh, is it amazing that meatloaf was eaten in this film? Like They literally turned they, him into meatloaf. They literally turned they him into literally. meatloaf. So, oh, what a fabulous film. All of our... Uh, socials will be in the description yes please follow us on twitter at hidden tea party it's a good time you won't regret it corny and my uh twitter handles will both be in the description um our next mainline episode is gonna be us having a conversation about our theories jess and i are gonna like we're gonna talk theories we're gonna talk facts we're gonna talk characters we're gonna talk themes it's gonna be a good time yeah just really wrapping up our thoughts on the question arcs Yep. As we move into the answer arcs. Yep. More room and echo. More room and echo for the fans. God, That's I That's what they're asking for. So, so many thoughts about all of the room and echo. So uh, tune in for those. In the meantime, have a lovely day, evening, whatever time zone you're in. Um, it's been lovely to hang out with you. And I'll uh, see you next week. Bye.